What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Dynasty Stock Market here on the Fantasy Stock Exchange. Uh, we got a really, really fun episode for you guys today, doing some Dynasty Buy or Sell uh, Rookie Edition. But first, before we hop into it, I'm going to introduce my good pal, Danny. Danny, how you doing, man? Doing well, doing well. Just super pumped to be on this video with you today, Mikey. I mean, we're basically just going to be going through, as you mentioned, these buy or sell scenarios that are basically going to be uh, basically evaluating how rookies are going to do in the rookie season by 2021. You guys will find out those exact scenarios. But first of all, again, you asked me how I was doing. How's your day been? I mean, you, your, your, your flyers took one from my Habs last night, so I'm kind of kind of salty about that one. Uh, yeah, you know what? I don't think it was a game that the Flyers really deserved to walk away with a win, but hey, I will take an ugly playoff win over a fantastic playoff loss any day of the oh. week. So got to say, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty excited about it. And, and you know what? I, I knew the, the first game I was talking a lot of smack to you. The second game you were talking a lot of smack to me. But how that game was going last night, I did okay, not nice. want to bring any bad karma into this world. I just had to keep quiet until it was over. Yeah, I mean, like, we, we saw that first goal go in, Voracek with an absolute duster in front of the net a few minutes in. And then after that, I mean, for, from a Canadian's perspective, just post after post after fucking post. And then when we weren't in the post, we were taking fucking dumb penalties. So, uh, yeah, that was definitely hard to watch as a Habs fan. I'm sure uh, you guys were grinding your teeth, waiting for that game to just fall over as a, as a Flyers fan. But... Yeah, definitely ready for the, what that game forward is going to bring because we need to win that to make that series 2-2. Oh, absolutely. And, and <laughs> as soon as uh, – I guess when this video comes out, it'll be Wednesday morning, so we'll know the result of game four, and then uh, we'll be looking forward to game five that exact same day. So sure. we'll, we'll see. I mean, I'm hoping that the Flyers take game four, but I guess you never I know. Not. I don't want to talk <laughs> any smack right now, man. I'm too nervous about it. <laughs> oh, man. I'm definitely nervous. I literally went from – Oh, well, we're the 12th seed. I don't expect us to really do much. Let's just uh, take our loss to Pittsburgh, get either the first or the ninth pick to now. Oh, you know what? We have a legitimate chance of upsetting the number one seed in the fucking conference. So I'm definitely excited to see how this series turns out. But I will say from these three games, maybe apart from game two, because that one was kind of just like taken away. I will say game one and three especially was some grindy, physical, fast, Fun watching hockey, I will say. It was definitely entertaining to watch those teams absolute battering each other. I mean, the physicality is the one thing I was really taken away from the series. But anyways, we'll make a hockey segment one day. But for now, let's talk some dynasty fantasy football and let's talk these rookies. Absolutely. So before we get into it, I'm going to mention we're going to do five running backs and five receivers today. Uh, they are pretty much the consensus top five running backs and then Four out of five of our receivers are in the top five consensus, and something tells me uh, the, the extra one in there is going to find himself in the top five, top six rookie wide receiver conversation any day now, especially with all the hype, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, we're going to start off with the, the obvious rookie that everyone wants to talk about, and that's going to be Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. So I have a situation for you, and you're going to tell me if you're going to buy it or sell it. If you're buying it, you say, yeah, absolutely, that's going to happen. If you're selling it, you're saying, nah, no way. So... Buy or sell. Clyde Edwards' yearly floor for the next few years is going to be 1,200 scrimmage yards and eight touchdowns. Just one. 
is an obvious buy for me. So, I mean, <laughs> I had to build up the tension there, but man, this is just the easiest smash buy cop, whatever you want to say. It's basically freaking boxing day. You're heading to the mall and buying everything in sight because that's basically how I'm feeling about this Clyde Edwards to later take. I mean, if I'm looking at it, the, I'm sure you will put the splits on the screen. I'll send these over to you. But basically, I recently tweeted out this uh, just how successful Damian Williams was in 2019 last year when he met a 50% snap threshold. So the graphic should be on the screen right now. But basically, in the games that Damian Williams played and received those 50% snaps or more, his PPR points were 18.5, 8.6, 6.8, 20.8, 15.9, 18.2 and 31.4. So that is a 17.2 point per game or RB10 pace when extrapolated. Now, that's just that 50%. I do believe CEH this year, moving forward, is going to be a guy who's basically going to figure into that like, Kareem Hunt type snap percentage in that 60, 70% range. So, I mean, if you're looking at it, what does that equate to? In those games, Damian Williams averaged 91.7 yards from scrimmage per game and had five touchdowns in those seven games. So if you pace that over a full 16, that's 1,467 yards from scrimmage and 11 touchdowns across a 16-game pace. So, I mean, with Clyde, when he is healthy, there will just simply be no way he falls below those thresholds. And again, as I mentioned, like he may very well enter into that Kareem Hunt-type range in dynasty over these next few years and even be that consensus top five running back that we're looking for based on just how the Casey uh, offense will use him. So, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I completely agree. I'm buying this seven days a week, uh, 24 hours a day. I mean, I, I'm smashing the buy on this one. Um, I mean, e even if there, I don't, in my opinion, there's no possibility that he sees less than even this, this is a pessimistic number. I'm just pointing that out. But let's say he only has 40 receptions, right? 40 receptions with his 1,200 yards and eight scores. That is 224 PPR fantasy points, which is good enough to be a, a, a literal top 12 running back, which is an RB1 in, in most leagues. So I am, I, I'm, I'm smashing that because, as you were saying, when Damian Williams was on and he was getting the target share and, and the, um, the rushing attempts that he was getting – he was on, you know, he was averaging over 17 points a game. Um, and it's, it's really hard to imagine that Clyde Edwards Hilaire doesn't see at least a 50% uh, share in his first year. Now I, I will say, I, I'm not going to go in and buy him at a 60 to 70% share his rookie year, but I think it will easily be up to that by as soon as his second year in the league. I think it's going to take a little while for him to come on, but even still coming in as, as a rookie running back, there's very little to practically no competition on this roster in that backfield. I mean, it's, it's Daryl Williams, DeAndre Washington and Darwin Thompson. I mean, who, who's really worried about those guys stealing significant work from Clyde Edwards. Um, the only so one they, they could sign and uh, you guys should be worried about is they signed me. <laughs> uh, yeah there's nothing there that worries me i mean maybe you can view a guy like fucking deandre washington 17th round in a best ball as a fucking handcuff but realistically that's all you're getting with that and that's simply just because of the casey offense i mean if you're looking at it Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in terms of usage first of all he's a very talented back people don't even want to credit that on twitter like oh he's in casey that's the only reason he's going to be good no he's actually a really good back in general as well clear top five back in this class you want to argue he's five, you want to argue he's one. I am not going to argue with anybody on that because the top five was pretty decided this year, in my opinion. 
Now, if you're actually talking about it in terms of fit in the offense, I mean, realistically, we pointed to what Damian Williams and his success he had. I mean, RB10, if you extrapolated those numbers, but they, uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, to me, is just a better version of Damian Williams. And maybe he's not Kareem Hunt in the running game, but in terms of the reception game, I do think he can kind of near that plateau, I will say. But, I mean, if you're getting anywhere near Kareem Hunt, and that is a guy who finished RB4 in his rookie season, I mean, I, I wouldn't be shocked if Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had that type of upside with the floor of being said top 10 uh, based on what Damian Williams did even last year. So I am – you're going to hear it a lot, but, I mean, Clyde Edwards is one of my favorite uh, running backs even in redraft. I mean, I'm pretty pretty on board with taking him even as uh, my first selected player. So uh, I, I know it's hard because, again, like you want to go with the trusted players and stuff like that. So, I mean, if you're able to pair him with a guy like freaking, let's say, Aaron Jones, let's say, in the second round, I mean, I'll do that all day 24-7 and you'd lock down – a top 12 uh, running back core. So uh, I really like that. Uh, what are your thoughts though? Yeah, no, I, I, like I said, I completely agree. And even with taking him in the first round for me personally, it's, it's a little rich for my blood. I would take him in the early second round. And like you said, the only reason why is because there is a, a handful of players that you, that you know are going to be fantastic for fantasy this year. There's a handful of guys that you're going to have to accept taking Clyde Edwards-Hilaire over. And that's just something that I still haven't come around to personally. Um, but I will say this 1,200 yards from scrimmage and eight touchdowns, I do think that's going to be um, the floor for, for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. So he is definitely an upside pick, but he's also a very safe pick as that bottomed as that bottom, like, uh, RB1 in terms of where he's going to finish on the year. So I can totally see the argument for taking him at the end of the first round. I personally won't do it, but I'm still buying his his uh, 1,200 scrimmage yards, eight touchdowns. Well, we agree. We're on board now. Who was the second name? All right, so we are moving on. And actually, right behind you, you have some jerseys from this team. Uh, Dallas Cowboy receiver C.D. Lamb. I have a feeling you're going to buy this one, just a sneaking suspicion. But <laughs> buy or sell, C.D. Lamb is going to have himself 1,000 yards receiving as a rookie. I mean, you alluded to it. Man, this is a buy for me. This is going to be a buy. I mean, if you're just looking at it, obviously, uh, it's hard sometimes if you just take numbers from the previous year and extrapolate them to the next year. But, I mean, if you're just looking at it, 596 attempts from that is definitely doable, especially with the addition I have mentioned multiple times of Mike McCarthy. Yes, the impact in game script is probably going to reduce the rushing attempts uh, or uh, the passing attempts, sorry, uh, in that regard. But then Mike McCarthy's pass splits are going to rise and right back. So I do still think that Dallas is definitely going to be in that 575, 580, maybe even more pass attempt range. And if that is the case, there is 190 vacated targets from Dallas, with the, uh, the main ones being the departures of Jason Wynn and Randall Cobb, who each received 83 targets last year. 83 targets from Randall Cobb, ranked third on the team, again, behind Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper. Now, if you're extrapolating that, I do think from a player basis, from a talent basis, C.D. Lamb is going to receive more than said 83 targets. Now, whether that means he's going to hit 100, 110, we have yet to see. But I do think that Dallas can have, realistically, three receivers hit that 100-target mark. And with C.D. Lamb, he's just a guy where if he is getting 100 targets, 
in terms of just being consistent, being hands. I mean, he's got probably the best hands already in the receiving core, which is like weird to say from a rookie, but if you're looking at uh, in terms of drop rates, I mean, Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup were lower in that regard in terms of what we expect from CD. Now, if you're looking at it, me saying that he's going to cross a thousand means I fully believe, I mean, we're probably going to have a bull takes episode soon enough, but I do think Dallas has said it all off season, but I do think they are the first team since 2008 to have three receivers cross that 1000 yard plateau. And I do fully believe that's going to happen this year. Again, I have talked up Jarwin. I have talked up CD lamb, uh, Michael Gallup. I mean, I'll just talk about the whole Cowboys offense. Cause I am that much of a believer of this team. There's plenty of production to go around realistically. That's why I have Dak as my number three quarterback. If you're looking at it though, 166 vacated targets from the tight end and the wide receiver position. Well, people are going to say, oh, well, Blake Jarvis is going to take a step. Yeah, well, Blake Jarvis already had north of 40 targets last year. So realistically, how many of those 83 targets that Jason Witten is leaving behind do you expect Blake Jarvis to be? Because if you're expecting Blake Jarvis to have 125 targets, he may very well be your top five tight end. It's just not going to happen. So, I mean, that's realistically what? 50, 60 unaccounted for targets? Now, where are those targets going to go? Okay, you can say there's a little increase uh, with Tony Pollard. You can say there's a little increase with Zeke. But realistically, there should be in uh, in line those supplemented targets from Jason Witten going to the vacated targets already left behind by Rand McCobb. And if that's the case, that should be absorbed by C.D. Lamb. Now, it may sound bold saying he's going to hit 1,000. I mean, especially in the situation, oh, well, he's the third wide receiver on the depth chart, fourth uh, fourth weapon in the offense. But, I mean, in terms of a talent, in terms of how they're going to be used, in terms of how they're going to throw the ball and how successful and efficient they're going to throw the ball this year, I am fully buying that C.D. Lamb hot take, I will say it, but, man, I am fully on board with that guy. He is – this may sound bold. I would not be shocked if we're talking about a guy who, in his rookie season, led, the, led receivers in both receiving yards and receiving touchdowns. I mean, he is that much of a talent. He was a top-ten player on my board. The wide receiver one going into the draft. I actually wrote the article for him on our draft guide site. You guys can check that out in the description if you haven't already caught that. But man, I am fully on board with this. May sound like a homer. I mean, you could you can balance it out uh, and convince them that this is not just biased. But man, I am super excited to watch him play this year. Hey man, I will never call you a homer because this time last year I was telling everyone that Christian McCaffrey would be the third running back to hit a thousand to thousand, and not to toot my own horn, but we called it. Maybe a little bit of a homer, but <laughs> it worked out nonetheless. Um, but back to C.D. Lamb, I am also going to buy C.D. Lamb at 1,000 yards receiving. And while we're on it, I'm also going to buy your take on the Dallas Cowboys having three 1,000-yard receivers. Um, I've been saying it all offseason, too. I, I, obviously, Amari Cooper is a fantastic talent. Michael Gallup had over 1,100 yards last year. There's no reason to believe he's going to slow down just because they, they've seen an upgrade from C.D. Lamb uh, or from Randall Cobb to C.D. Lamb. Um, and then going back to the whole targets thing, you hit the nail on the head. That is the exact uh, point that I wanted to to hit on. I don't foresee C.D. Lamb only getting those 83 targets that Randall Cobb had. I definitely see him getting closer, if not a little bit more, than 100 targets on the year. If he gets over 100 targets on the year, there's almost no way. With, with how talented he is and just with how open that field is from all of that offensive oh, yeah. talent, there's almost no way that C.D. Lamb doesn't finish with 1,000 yards receiving this year. Uh, he's, he's definitely my rookie wide receiver one. I have done everything that I possibly could to get my hands on him in all of my leagues before this season starts because this time next year, he is going to be one of the hardest receivers to buy in Dynasty. I am planning my flag in that right now. 
And if you want CD Lamb, you have to go out, make your offers now because he's not going to get any cheaper. I fully agree. I mean, this is another bold take, as it may seem. But this is going to sound bold. It's going to be scorching hot. CD Lamb, by this time next year, is going to be a top 15 dynasty wide receiver. He's going to be selected ahead of guys like Amari Cooper. Guys like, uh, I don't know, we'll say, what's a hot one? We'll say Cooper Cup, Keenan Allen, all those guys. No, No question aside. CD Lamb is going to be... A thousand yard receiver going into next year, and he's going to be the best receiver in Dallas. That's how that's how highly I believe in this kid. But again, no, call me no, home. I, but. To, to build off of that though, I was the exact same way about AJ Brown until he landed himself in Tennessee, which we've talked about that before. I faded him too much, even though he was my number one overall receiver. Yada yada yada. I regretted it. Blah blah blah. Whatever. AJ Brown. Is, is A.J. Brown is one of those top 15 dynasty receivers already, right? After his rookie year, he's being drafted as such and everything like that. But there is a narrative um, for, for a lot of people, which I personally don't understand, and that's the whole regression thing. Oh, he was just too efficient last year. There's no way he keeps up with it, blah, blah, blah. I think that C.D. Lamb is going to enter a similar conversation uh, as A.J. Brown is. But I don't think it's going to be as heavily he's going to recess. I think it's just going to be, oh, he was a rookie phenom, and we have to get him on, on all of our dynasty teams everywhere. Um, so I, I really like that take a lot. And you and I are both fully buying C.D. Lamb at 1,000 yards receiving in 2020. Uh, we'll move back to the running backs here, and I am going to bring up uh, Indianapolis Colts rookie running back Jonathan Taylor. Um, Jonathan Taylor, he's, he's widely loved in the fantasy football, especially dynasty community. I'm a little bit more sour on him than most, and I guess we'll kind of figure out where you're at when we're buying and selling this. So buy or sell. By the end of 2020, Jonathan Taylor will be the every down back uh, for the Indianapolis Colts. See, now this is the one where the wording is especially key to me, but because of that, I'm going to buy. Now, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not one, one of those guys on Twitter who will just say, oh, yeah, Marlon Mack, Naheem Hines, they're redundant. JT will just dust them. I mean, have you seen the way this guy looks in fucking shorts? I mean, come on. Which, <laughs> who, who, who are the coaches going to want on the field? But, I mean, to me, this just seems to, uh, to be a similar situation to what we saw with Nick Chubb in 2018. I mean, the veteran starter is the lead back to start the season, but once the coaches witness – uh, how much talent the young back possesses, he will eventually take over. And I mean, oddly enough, J- uh, Jonathan Taylor, in terms of just skill set, in terms of the way he plays, does remind me of Nick Chubb. I mean, you got a talented breakaway runner who is able to absolutely explode on any single given carry. I mean, the way we're actually looking at him and his draft situation, as Marlon Mack is to JT, we saw Carlos Hyde was to Nick Chubb in Cleveland. Now, like Chubb, I expect this to be Taylor's back by week five, week six, not week one, like some people will try to say. But I, again, it happened a little bit later for Chubb. I believe it was week seven where he actually started getting the touch workload. And I do think that once Taylor is kind of able to show off his talent, the coaches will just have a hard time taking him off the field. And, I mean, the thing with him is uh, he's not the most natural receiver. I mean, we all know that for right now. He's not a Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. He's not even like a DeAndre Swift out of the back of But, I mean, if you're actually seeing it, like he – Aside from, I mean, people are going to point to the fumbles and everything like that, but aside from 
all that stuff. He was actually a decently efficient receiver in college when he did get his targets. So, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked, again, if we're seeing like a Josh Jacobs, Nick Chubb kind of target load. I do think Naheem Hines is still ultimately going to get more receiving work, so he's going to get more targets. But I do think that uh, when it's all said and done, uh, by the end of the year, you're looking at uh, a guy like Jonathan Taylor as like that 20 touch per game back by, we'll, we'll, we'll say week six, just to play it safe. But that, that's yeah. my that's yeah, I see. I have to sell this one, and it's like I said, I'm a bit more sour than most are on Jonathan Taylor, and it's nothing against him being a running back. I think he has every bit of every bit of potential to be a similar back uh, of like a Nick Chubb or a Derrick Henry kind of guy, and obviously there is definitely a place for that on any dynasty roster, on any redraft roster, on any roster on this planet. You would love to have a guy like that because he's probably going to be a top fifteen. Uh, guy at the position a lot sooner rather than later but my issue is that since we're talking about him being the every down guy I just I can't see it because this coaching staff has been talking up Naheem Hines uh I mean Hines has what is it like uh like over 140 targets combined between 2019 and 2018 and 2018 was his rookie season um and I'm kind of throwing out 2019 as a whole for the Colts I mean they operated with Jacoby Brissett. They operated without T.Y. Hilton most of the year. And even when T.Y. Hilton was in, it was just totally shaky and, and just not what we were used to. I mean, I'm, I'm throwing that out completely for the Indianapolis Colts. And I'm just moving on straight from 2018 to 2020. Uh, I do think Naheem Hines is going to see a, a prolific role as a receiver out of the backfield, especially with Phillip Rivers there. Um, I just... I really have a tough time seeing Jonathan Taylor being on the field for most third downs. Is he going to be on the field third down occasionally? Absolutely. If it's short yard, if it's within three, even four yards, maybe I can see Jonathan Taylor on the field because he's that good of a runner and he's behind that good of an offensive line. I just don't think that they're ever going to, I don't want to say never, but I think about at least 80, 80 to 85% of the time, I don't think they're going to be calling his number when it's an obvious uh, passing down situation. And that's my only flaw with Jonathan Taylor. If it now it would be different if it were just him and Marlon Mack, I would buy this 10 out of time, 10, bleh, 10 out of 10 times, because Jonathan Taylor, like you said, he's a very efficient receiver. He can get the, the job done if he needs to, but it's just the fact of having Naheem Hines on that roster that makes me fade Jonathan Taylor as that quote unquote, every down kind of guy right now. That's fair. I mean, again, uh, the tar the targets I don't I, I will agree with you I don't necessarily think they're going to be like huge they're not going to even be like let's say Ezekiel Elliott level where he's getting 70 75 targets like I, I do realistically think that once he establishes that role he'd probably be at that more so 50 55 kind of target pace which is ultimately like Joe Mixon jo, uh, John uh yeah Josh Jacobs my bad type territory but I mean uh maybe it, I don't know because I mean. The term every down is kind of like, it's a gray It's weird. Cause I mean, like realistically, like it depends, it fully depends on the situation on third down. Now, if it, a third and three is going to be much different than a, a third and 11. Like if it's a third and 11, obviously you're going to have that more scat pack type, like an he minds on where in a third and three, you still want to have the threat of the rushing uh, being there. So yeah, I may see him on the field in those kind of situations. So, I mean, I don't think he's going to have a ton of like PPR reception upside, but I mean, I think that's going to be like Nick Chubb supplemented by that rushing volume. So, I mean, he's one where 
like I'm buying simply because like when I think of every down, I'm thinking of like, oh, workhorse. But I, I can totally agree that Naheem Hines is going to dip uh, pretty significantly into that receiving production. Yeah. So that's the first one on the, on this list that you and I were split on. I'm sure there will be at least one or two more. Um, but there you have it. Danny is buying Jonathan Taylor as the uh, every down workhorse in Indy by the end of this season, where I am selling it purely because of my weird love for Naheem Hines, I guess. <laughs> um, so we'll move on to a receiver and we're going to talk about Jerry Judy, who is a part of the Denver Broncos organization. Uh, Danny, buy or sell? Now, this isn't for this season. This is for next season, right? So buy or sell. Jerry Judy will be the most targeted player in Denver by the end of the 2021 season. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm glad you clarified that too because when I first read it like uh, on the show notes, I'm like, I, I thought that's a 2020, so I was going to sell, right? But then when I, once you explain, oh, no, it's 2021, I actually looked at it. I'm like, okay, you know what? This, this is a full buy for me. I mean, when I'm just looking at it, yes, I am a, a, a Cortland Sutton fan. I've always been a Cortland Sutton fan. But in terms of just usage, in terms of just overall as a prospect, as a player role on their offense, I do think Jerry Judy is ultimately going to be that lead receiver in terms of targets. Again, this really boils down to me like in terms of who's going to be used in the slot more. It's going to be Jerry Judy. That's going to be his primary usage. He's going to get those intermediate uh, routes, be able to be an absolute target machine. Again, I, I fully expect him to see that 8 to 10 target per game type role while ultimately Sutton is going to more so adjust to that outside threat, take on your number one corner, be a red zone type threat. I mean, he's a big body, can make some spectacular catches. I do think that's ultimately kind of going to be how they're leveled. Uh, I'm trying to think what kind of situation I can compare it to. I mean, maybe I have, I have a perfect one for him. For oh. you. Um, I, I kind of view these two by this time in 21. So I, I'm I was going to say Tate it. Jones. What's that? I was going to say uh, when, when Golden Tate and Marvin Jones kind of played together. Like that kind of yeah, that's actually perfect. Yeah. I was gonna I was gonna say an OBJ and Landry kind of situation. Oh yeah, that that works too. Yeah, yeah, because Landry did he did lead Cleveland in targets last year, um, but OBJ was always the guy on the outside getting those top matchups, everything like that. Jarvis Landry is just you know I don't want to say the safety blanket, but he is the highest targeted volume uh, receiver on that offense. Um, so I, I definitely could see Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton kind of fusing into that kind of situation. Um, I'll, I'll let you continue talking. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So a player, uh, it's actually funny when I looked at it, I'm like, okay, what's one player that I can kind of compare, uh, how Jerry Judy is going to be used in, uh, Denver. And the one guy I really thought of, I mean, he reminds me so much of how they used Emmanuel Sanders and you stick him in the slot. He's going to be high usage. He gives you a little bit of vertical passing because he's still got speed, but his main role is ultimately to take the pressure off your quarterback and give you that intermediate threat. I mean, and we saw when Emmanuel Sanders is in his prime in Denver, I mean, he was an absolute target machine. Oh, yeah. I do see Jerry Judy ultimately filling that role again. It's a nice fit beside a guy like, for example, no, you still got Noah Fant. You still got KJ Hamler. Those guys can absolutely stretch the field while Jerry Judy is doing his work underneath. I do think by 2021, he's again, this is going to be the slimmest of margins. I still think Colin Sun is going to be that alpha outside threat. But I do buy that by 2021, Jerry Judy is going to be the Denver Broncos target leader. Yeah. And like I was saying, I completely agree. I'm buying that every day of the week. Um, I don't think it's it's not a C.D. Lamb situation where he's going to come in and be a threat for a thousand yards his first year. Um, and it's 
that's not so much a knock on Jerry Judy, more so just a praise on the Dallas offense, I would say, yeah, in the Atlanta I mean, situation. Uh, as if much you, as if you, if you switch Jerry Judy into Dallas, I'd be having the exact same conversation that we just exactly. had with CD Lamb because that's just situational. But Jerry Judy, he is just as talented, in my opinion, as CD Lamb. He is obviously very highly coveted in rookie drafts and dynasty drafts, uh, pretty much in any format. And he's going to go, I would say, in later single digit rounds in a standard redraft league. Yeah, um, like eighth round. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a ton of opportunity there. There's a ton of upside. I mean, it's a young offense. There's so much up and coming. Um, I mean, Melvin Gordon just got there, but out of all of the skill positions, I mean, he's technically the most vetted player uh, on that offense, and he just got here. So this is an offense that's going to grow a lot together over the next couple of years. And I think Jerry Judy is going to quickly become a household name in Denver. So I, I am agreeing with you 110%. I think Cortland Sutton is still going to – uh, be their outside receiver that takes away all of those top uh, corner matchups and everything like that. But I do think Jerry Judy, at the end of the day, even if it's by a slim margin, I do think he's going to be the highest targeted player on the Denver offense uh, by next season in 2021. Glad we're on board. Let's go. Well, who's the next name that we got up in this buy or sell scenario? So the next one is my personal favorite. I know you like him too. I'm really interested to see your thoughts on this one. Uh, because I, I, I don't know if we're going to agree, but I, I sincerely hope we do. Um, and that is going to be Detroit Lions rookie running back DeAndre Swift. Uh, buy or sell? DeAndre Swift will total 1,000 yards and take over as the primary receiving back by the end of 2020. So he's going to have 1, 000, at least 1,000 scrimmage yards, and he's going to be the leading receiver out of that backfield by the end of this season. Well, you know, I've bought in a lot so far, so uh, I'm just going to buy again. Like, come on. Are you going to I have him as a top 17 back in redraft for a reason. I mean, uh, it may sound bold that he's, he's going to take over. Like, a lot of people are like, oh, they're still carrying on Johnson. They're still the, the Detroit offense run do or pass dominant, pass dominant. Who actually, by the way, were 18th in pass-to-run split in neutral game scripts when Stafford was healthy. So below average, I mean, people thought they were in the top five when in reality, 18th is not even close to that. But if you're actually looking at it, okay, I think he can step in. And, I mean, this may sound like a lofty comparison because this guy is a universal top four back, but I do think he can provide that Alvin Kamara light impact even as soon as year one. I mean, to, to me, he's clearly the most talented back in that backfield in Detroit. I mean, people want to hype up on Johnson. That is fine. But if you look at the efficiencies, if you look at the injury problems, if you look at just as prospect, I mean, it is clear as day to me that DeAndre Swift outclasses on Johnson every single one of those uh, ways to analyze. Now, if you're – you know what I mean, ways to analyze, whatever. Uh, although he may not be a workhorse as soon as week one, I mean, I do still expect that the early part of the season, he's still going to have that 12 to 15 touch baseline with passing game usage. I mean, keep in mind, Karrion Johnson averaged over 16 touches per game, despite always having injury concerns, despite being inefficient with those touches. Now, if we're actually looking at it, uh, I do think that 12 to 15 touch baseline at minimum, is going to keep our uh, Swift in that RB2 area. May maybe fringe. Maybe he's 
closer to 20 than he is to 12, but I do think he's going to be in that range for the majority of the season with potential league winning type upside down the stretch. If you're actually looking at it, well, I mean, obviously you still got to consider offensive coordinator tendencies. This isn't the full picture. I mean, you still have to look at how Bevel will affect uh, the game in terms of the play calling. But when I'm actually looking this, at the splits with Matthew Stafford under center for Detroit, it kind of gives light into Swift's potential usage as the team's primary receiving back. So, I mean, I broke it down in uh, basically uh, between 2011 and 2018, because 2019 he got hurt halfway through the season. In those eight years when Stafford was healthy, his ta- or his backs in general, his running backs, have averaged 134.75 targets per year and had a 21.975% target market share. If you're actually breaking that down, respectively, would have ranked 6th and 15th in the league uh, in 2019. People's first thing that they take away when looking at Detroit, again, passing game, passing game. They only threw to their running backs 11% of the time in the entirety of 2019. But keep in mind, Stafford missed eight games. And they, not to mention, I mean, you're looking at Carrion Johnson, who's not even close to the receiving back that DeAndre Swift is. Let's look at the actual eight-year sample size we had before that, where he ranked, again, as I mentioned, sixth and 15th, respectively, when looking at those metrics. I mean, overall, while I do think uh, Carrion Johnson could come back, see a little bit of the rushing work, maybe a little bit of goal line, I fully expect, like, they're just not going to absolutely phase him out of the offense. But, I mean, Swift is a guy who's easily easily the most viable receiving back on the team and just because of that i think he has a very respectable rookie year with rb1 upside beyond this year so 2021 especially on once he establishes himself this year as that effect uh, efficient passing game back 12 to 15 baseline i do think 2021 on he is going to be a consensus top low back so i fully buy I fully buy this take. <laughs> I just can't stop daydreaming on what would have happened if DeAndre Swift landed himself in Kansas City. Oh, man. Like, that, I mean, <laughs> to me, that would have been a match made in heaven. And I am uh, I, I'm 1,010% buying uh, this, this line of Swift totaling at least 1,000 yards and taking over as the primary receiving back. Um, I would even go one further and think that he's going to lead this team in rushing attempts. Because like you said, on Johnson, he's – He's less than efficient. He's never on the field, it seems. Like, there's just so many uh, points of attack for DeAndre Swift to come in and get the opportunity. And I sincerely think that he's going to get that opportunity a lot sooner rather than later. And the sooner he gets it, the sooner he's going to run away with it. You know, I I wouldn't be the least bit surprised um, to see by – I, I think him and Carrion Johnson are going to be, for the most part, as long as Carrion Johnson is healthy this season, I think they're going to be more of a two-headed monster where they're going to be complementing each other a lot. Um, but I do think that as soon as the end of this year, as soon as the second half of this year, I think DeAndre Swift, at the very least, becomes the 1A and Carrion Johnson becomes the 1B. I do think DeAndre Swift is going to be uh, the quote-unquote primary back by the midway point of the season just because he is so supremely talented. And – to, to, to build off of your point, this Detroit landing spot is most definitely not a kiss of death by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, you look at the running backs that have been there over the last however many years, it's 
there's never been like a legitimate good running back there. Carryon Johnson is the most hyped up Detroit running back that actually deserved the hype in such a long time, except for, I don't know, who, who was the last guy? Uh, Joy Capel I was actually, something like that? I was actually going to bring that up. So the last time, because uh, I mean, I was getting into a conversation with this with Lucas and he's like, oh, well, uh, when you're taking the full backfield and like looking at the, the leading receiver, you have to look at like, what, what the leading rushers receiving Elpo was. And I'm like, that's just simply inefficient because Detroit just hasn't had that guy who's done it both in both facets in such a long time. The last time we actually saw that was in 2013 when uh, they, believe it or not, if, can you guess who their back was in 2013? Joyke Bell is my guess, my best guess. <laughs> Reggie Bush. Reggie, okay. Bush in 2000, Reggie Bush in 2013 was the last time that they had a back who was both their leading target getter and their leading care, uh, rusher. And uh, that year, in 14 games, uh, Reggie Bush was able to produce 1,006 rushing yards, coupled with 80 targets and 506 receiving yards in 14 games. So, I mean, the, 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 the sky's the limit. Uh, if, like, first of all, that's also – that's not just a Reggie Bush who was coming off the second overall pick, great year at USC. No, no, no. This is a 28-year-old Reggie Bush going into his third NFL team. DeAndre Swift is a coveted top 35 draft pick coming into the system as a 21-year-old kid. I mean, the sky is the limit for him here, realistically. And again, I don't think that they're going to absolutely phase out carry on year one. But I mean, 2021 on, I mean, I, I think this guy can absolutely be a staple in fantasy football. I mean, he's got the talent to, he's got the opportunity to. Now we just got to see that mold together because I, I'm, I'm all in on this kid. Yeah, I am too. And a lot of people are going to say that he's not going to get this big opportunity his rookie year because he is a rookie. You go back to on Johnson's rookie year, he was, he was significantly more efficient in 2018 than he was in 2019. I'll be the first one to admit that. Um, but if, if, if on Johnson had actually played a full 16-game season uh, without going down to injury, which obviously is something we've come to know with on Johnson over the last couple of years – he was on pace to be a top 14 PPR running back. Um, and, it's, and that's as a rookie. That's after uh, the coach is coming out that exact same year and not committing to carry on Johnson in the run game whatsoever. That's when people were still worried about LeGarrette Blunt being like a legitimate running back threat um, in that backfield. So the, the whole narrative around Detroit, whether it be how they play their running backs, whether it be how they play their rookies, whether it be how they target their rookies or target their running backs. It's none of it seems to be true because if you take a deeper dive into it, the numbers are, as you said, the numbers are actually pretty damn good. And there's a lot of opportunity coming up for DeAndre Swift. There's a reason why he was uh, pretty much the consensus number one rookie running back prior to the NFL um, uh, combine because He's just, he's so good. He is supremely tape, talented. He's not. His tape, man. What's that? His tape. His tape oh, I know. He's, he's, he's filthy. And you, you know what the cool thing is about DeAndre Swift? Is he the best um, pure runner in this draft class? No. Is he the best pass catcher in this draft class out of the running backs? No. But he is top two, top three in almost any conversation you can have about the running backs in this rookie class. And that's why he's going to be so successful because he is the jack of all trades that you want. As you were saying, like an Alvin Kamara kind of guy, he can come in, he can do it all. 
And I, I, he's got so much sneaky upside this year. Um, I'm going to move on from DeAndre Swift because I know you and I can talk about it. We can talk him about him all day. For, for a million years and not get tired of it. <laughs> but long story short, Danny and I are both buying DeAndre Swift totaling 1,000 yards from scrimmage this year and being the lead receiver out of this backfield. Um, so we're moving on to another receiver. As you can see, there's kind of a pattern, running back receiver, running back receiver. Um, and this one – this one I think both of, both you and I are a little conflicted on, and that's going to be Jalen Rager of the Philadelphia Eagles. Can he be the wide receiver one in Philly? Now let me explain that a little bit further before we go on. We're, we're throwing out Zach Ertz. We're throwing out Dallas Goddard. We're throwing out Miles Sanders. Sanders. Is Jalen Rager going to be um, Carson Wentz's go-to guy this year? See, this is the one that kind of had me like – conflicted because if it were by 2021 i would fully say 100 percent he's going to be that guy by 2021 now when we're talking 2020 i do think if we're talking about a per game basis in terms of target share that when deshaun jackson is on the field he is going to lead that receiving corner targets just because i mean we saw the chemistry that those two had last year we've seen it over the years when deshaun jackson is healthy he's an absolute game breaker on the outside now the main thing that I really have to detract from the statement. If Deshaun Jackson goes down, which I do kind of expect to happen at some point this year, I mean, Jalen Riker could fully, by the end of the season, be the team leader in targets and uh, out of the receiver room. But, I mean, if we're talking about in terms of a per-game basis, who's going to lead that team in targets per game? And if we got a full season from Deshaun Jackson, I do think it's still going to be him. I mean, to me – like I love Jalen Rager as a prospect. I mean, you got the the the, the speed, the 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 athletic ability. I mean, I wrote about him in the draft guide. You guys can check him out. But I mean, the problem is he's still a little bit raw in terms of transferring from that TCU offense. Ultimately, what's going to be expected of him at the professional rank playing for the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, Deshaun Jackson. I mean, he's one of the most veteran receivers in the league. Uh, he's adjusted to every basically basically every situation that he's been in. Even though he only played three games last year, he was dynamite in those three games, if everybody remembers having him in fantasy or DFS in those weeks. So, yes, I mean, the, again, it, it's a tough one because I do expect Deshaun Jackson to go down. I think Jalen Ryan is going to lead in targets, but I'm going to sell this one simply due to the fact that when Deshaun Jackson is on the field, I do still think that he'll operate that wide receiver row and row. Now, talking 2021. I do think by then Jalen Rager is going to be polished enough to step into that role and develop his game. Cause I mean, as a talent, he's easily a top five receiver in this class. I mean, you want to make that argument of, uh, I, I would still say like, if you want to argue him over, over CD Lamb or Jerry Judy, I would, I would say no, but I mean, if you want to argue between like rugs, uh, him, Justin Jefferson, I am fully fine with whatever order you have those guys, but yeah, I, I I'm going to sell this one for the 2020 season. You know what's weird? I'm going to buy this one, but I still think he finishes with less fantasy points than Jerry Judy this year. Um, and the reason why is because we've seen over the last couple of years, it does not take a very effective stat line to be the quote-unquote wide receiver one out of Philly. Um, and the reason why I made this for the 2020 season as opposed to the 2021 season is because there is a narrative that Jalen Rager is going to take over as Philly's go-to guy this year, especially with Alshon Jeffrey starting off in the PUP list, Deshaun Jackson's uh, injuries, Greg Ward having to step in and be the potential wide receiver too in this offense. I mean, there, there are so many things going wrong 
in Philly that would lead to a rookie receiver being the number one guy there. Um, and I, I'm, I am buying it. I, I do think that Alshon Jeffrey being out is going to give Jalen Rager plenty of opportunities. I don't think Deshaun Jackson is going to be able to stay healthy or even just be on the field in general with whatever the hell he's got going on right now. He's all over the place. Um, I just, I, I don't think it's going to take much to get Jalen Rager there. Like, seriously, like this is a, this is an opportunity where like Rager could come in and get like 50 to 55 receptions for like 700 yards, if that, and he could easily lead those receivers uh, both in targets in receptions, even in just receiving work in general with yards and touchdowns. So I, yeah. I am buying this, especially with all the hype that he's getting from those coaches and the early draft capital that they spent on him, I think they're going to use him a lot sooner than later. And I'm, I'm not going to be surprised if he is uh, their number one guy, not named Zach Ertz, Dallas Goddard, or Miles Sanders. Um, so I, 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 I totally see where you're coming from. I'm also on the fence with it. But it's just the fact that it doesn't take any spectacular yeah. number to be the wide receiver one in Philly. That's the reason why I'm buying this. Well, I mean, that, that kind of, that, that's kind of what happens when you have basically 220, 230 targets allocated to two tight ends on your offense. I mean, plain and simple. I mean, that's just going, when, 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 da, when Dallas Goddard and, uh, when Dallas Goddard and Zach Hertz are on the field, they're going to easily surpass 200 combined targets and probably near that, as I mentioned, 230-ish range. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, just, it's one that I, I'm kind of on the fence, fence of, because I do think like, when Jackson is healthy, he's going to operate that rule. But at the same time, I mean, it, it, he's most likely not going to be healthy. So, again, if you have him in best ball, if you have him – like, if you take a guy like Deshaun Jackson, Jalen Rager, like, late, late in your drafts uh, – I mean, I, well, this is dynasty. So, J- Jalen Rager is going to be going, like, way up, and I fully advocate for that for 2021 on. But, I mean, if we're talking just strictly redraft, if you get one of those guys later on, a couple boom weeks, I mean – I prefer either of them more so in a best ball because, again, as you mentioned, like those tight ends are going to funnel a ton of targets. But, yeah, uh, I'm kind of just talking to talk right now because, again, as I mentioned, I don't think either of them, if they lead the receiver room and targets, is going to necessarily be a hefty total. So I'll agree with you there. Yeah. So Jalen Rager may or may not be the wide receiver one to own in Philly, but don't take that as he's going to be a wide receiver one in fantasy because it's just not happening, at least not his rookie year. Tons of opportunity. Tons of uh, potential there and everything like that. Uh, but be on the lookout in case Jalen Rager does end up leading those receivers. That is likely going to increase his value. Um, I don't want to say significantly, but it's definitely going to increase his value over the course of the next year or so. Um, so. So we'll move on. We're going to go back to the running backs. I got another one to talk about, and that's going to be J.K. Dobbins of the Baltimore Ravens. So there is not a lot of doubt that this is still – Mark Ingram's backfield, or at the very least, Mark Ingram is a thousand percent going to be the one A of this backfield uh, for 2020. But I got to ask you, buy or sell? J.K. Dobbins will be the guy of this backfield by the start of 2021. Now, see, I'm going to buy this, but I mean, the use of the words like the guy, I, again, I'm, I'm not too sure about because since I do believe that Mark Ingram will still be worked into the rotation heavily in 2021. And again, that, that'll be the final year of the three-year $50 million contract that he signed when he left the Saints to join the Ravens. But I mean, however, if the question is, does he lead the team in touches in 2021? I fully buy that scenario. I mean, to me, Dobbins landed in the perfect situation possible for him as a prospect. 
I mean, we saw his success at Ohio State with and without a mobile quarterback. And then he lands in the spot in the NFL with the most mobile quarterback we have ever seen. So again, this is, this is a guy who he may never be a 300 touch workhorse back, but I mean, if you're giving this guy 250 touches with a receiving role, incredible efficiencies he's going to have in that insanely efficient offense and ultimately a ton of touchdown upside. I do think Dobbins could very well be a top 10 fantasy football running back in 2021 just kind of as uh, Ingram basically did last year. I mean, we saw Mark Ingram on 228 touches in 15 games finish last year as the RB9. So uh, I, I, I'll buy it if, you, if you're referring to leading the team from the running back position in touches. But if it's just he's going to be the guy, there's going to be no competition whatsoever. I'm going to sell that because I do think that while, while Dobbins may see 150, I, I could very well see in 2021 Mark Ingram still being that 1B, 150 to 200 type touches. So uh, I'll, I'll buy it if it's referring to leading the team in total opportunities. Yep, and, and that's exactly it. It's, and for that reason, I'm going to buy it as well. Um, J.K. Dobbins, I, I think he will 1,000% lead the team uh, in opportunities out of the backfield in 2021. Now, you mentioned Mark Ingram's contract. He signed until the end of 21. I believe I, – I can't imagine they actually take advantage of it, but I believe there's an opt-out after this year so if by somehow J.K. Dobbins like goes in there and like blows the roof off the place, that is definitely something to monitor. But if J.K. Dobbins is blowing the roof off of the place, chances are if you don't have him in Dynasty, you're not getting your hands on him at that point anyway. No. Uh, I mean, he, but, by then, he's going to be a top 10, top 8 at the minimum back. I mean, yeah. that's just so much fun. But anyways, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think J.K. Dobbins is definitely going to be uh, the guy to own on that backfield. He's going to lead them in rushing attempts. He's going to lead them in uh, targets out of the backfield, everything like that. I mean, he's, he's a very good, very talented all around kind of running back. And I, I, I think that he'd be able to handle it, especially because like, as you mentioned, Mark Ingram, his, his work on the ground, his work through the air was just very efficient with, with Lamar yeah. Jackson. Mark Ingram is not by any stretch of the imagination, a receiving running back. And he absolutely killed it in PPR leagues last year. J.K. Dobbins is a more talented receiving back than Mark Ingram is, and I believe that he will also go go forward and absolutely smash it in PPR leagues. Um, like you were saying, I can totally picture J.K. Dobbins being a top 10 running back, um, and I, I think if, if he is going to be the guy by the start of 2021, in startups everywhere, he's going to be drafted as a top 13 kind of guy, even at that point if Mark Ingram is still in the team, um, just, just knowing that he's going to come in and absolutely run away, quote unquote, run away with the job in 2021, um, I, I think is going to be a very big asset. So I'm going to buy this uh, and I'm not even going to hesitate about it. I'm just buying this straight <laughs> up. JK Dobbins is going to take over this backfield. We fully agree there. Now, uh, who is the next receiver we're going to be discussing here? So the next receiver, definitely a controversial one. Now I had mentioned that I have the top five consensus running backs on this list. And I had four of the top consensus wide receivers on this list. And this other guy has kind of been sneaking around through the drafts lately. His ADP has been rising. He has been getting a lot of buzz, a lot of hype. And his quarterback, Derek Carr, trusts him. And, of course, I'm talking about Brian Edwards. So buy or sell, Brian Edwards takes over as the Vegas wide receiver one this year. Now, it's the same exact buy or sell as we had with Jalen Rager except now we're talking about Brian Edwards with the Raiders I mean 
I love like, I in terms of pre-draft cycle, I was one of the highest on this guy. He was my wide receiver seven. But I can't neglect the fact that my wide receiver three ended up there as well in Henry Rooks. Now, it's going to be a tough, uh, tough hill to climb for either of them to lead the team in targets uh, at the receiver position because we're not even talking about Waller. Obviously, he's going to lead the team in targets. But, I mean, in terms of just leading the overall receiving core in targets, I mean, they're still, they're still competing with guys like, again, Hunter Renfro, Tyrell Williams, So I do think they're still going to kind of figure in for 2020. Uh, if they're – I mean, Tyrell Williams, for all I know, could be cut by the start of the season, but I doubt that with that rookie young core that they have. But – uh, I'm gonna sell it simply because I do think that Henry Ruggs is still the guy that they want to get the most involved out of that receiving core. I mean, Bush is probably screaming at his laptop right now saying, Sell, 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 Henry Ruggs, God, God, God. But uh, I, I will side with that in the sense that they, they wouldn't have just taken Henry Ruggs over Lamb and Judy if they didn't have a plan to get the ball in his hands. Now, they see the way that Tyreek Hill has been used. In KC. Now, I am by no means comparing him to Tyreek Hill, but could we see a Terry McLaurin type usage for a guy like Henry Ruggs? I think we could. I mean, plain, plain and simple. Uh, I know we're not talking about Henry Ruggs right now. We're talking about Brian Edwards, but it kind of correlates to the fact that I do think Brian Edwards can right off the bat operate that possession type role, maybe get some usage in the slot, maybe even lead the team in touchdowns because he's got a big body, could be used in the red zone. But in terms of overall leading that receiving core in production, being their quote-unquote wide receiver one, leading them in targets, I would still say that I would put my money on rugs before I put it on Edwards. But again, if there's a scenario where that happened, where again, he was the possession guy, he was getting that user similar to like a Jerry Judy versus Sun situation, I wouldn't be surprised but I, I'll still put my money on rugs because I do think that they're, they're, they're going to quote unquote use him like he was the 12th overall pick. And I mean, he's talented enough again to be that hundred target guy. Eventually. I, I'm not sure about 2020 because I still think Waller is going to absolutely dominate that target share. But yeah. I mean, for the long-term future, I still think that rugs going to be the number one, but that's no knock on Edwards. Cause he is, I think he's got the potential to be a truly high upside wide receiver two in that offense. I mean, if, if Derek Carr trusts him and trusts the way they're going to – well, I trust the way they're going to use Henry Ruggs, I think that passing offense can be very potent. So, I mean, I know you uh, are buying this one. What are your thoughts on the Edwards versus – well, we'll just call it the Edwards versus Ruggs debate because that's basically what it is. Yeah, yeah. So, like you said, I don't, by any stretch of the imagination, think that anyone is going to surpass Darren Waller. But luckily for us, Darren Waller is tied up. So, he is yeah. exempt. <laughs> um, I think this is an offense that's really going to spread it around this year. You know, it's, it's a very young offense. Derek Carr still putting everything together. This coaching staff is still putting everything together. They have a lot of experimenting to do uh, with all of their guys. Now, the reason why I'm buying this is because quarterbacks don't typically just throw out the word trust um, for, for any given receiver. And Derek Carr over the past few days has said that he – fully trust Brian Edwards. The things that he's doing in camp is, is spectacular. He used Brian Edwards and Devontae Adams in the same sentence, mm -hmm. which I, I will be the first person to tell you not to buy into all the training camp hype and everything like that. But it's always a little bit different for me when it's coming directly from the quarterback that's going to be throwing the ball. Um, so I, I'm not going to go out and say Brian Edwards is going to be the second coming of Devontae <laughs> Adams. He's good, but he's not that good. Um, yeah, there's, a difference, there's a difference between Derek Carr 
saying that he trusts him and that he likens him to uh, Devontae Adams compared to fucking Josh Jacobs just saying, oh, I'm going to catch 60 balls. Yeah. <laughs> There's a difference there because, I mean. Yeah, like like Derek Carr, he he controls what receivers are, are getting what by the end of the, you know, at the end of the play, he is controlling who this ball is going to. And it's kind of a similar situation as in Philly where you they're not going to need this fantastic stat line to be the quote-unquote wide receiver one in that offense. And purely for the fact that I think this ball is going to be spread around a decent amount. Um, I, I think Brian Edwards is going to be more or less, if we're not counting Darren Waller, the safety blanket for Derek Carr, especially if that trust persists throughout the entire season and grows throughout the entire season. I can just see Brian Edwards being the go-to guy for Derek Carr whenever the play breaks down or whenever just – you know, I just I, I see it happening. I think Brian Edwards is going is going to be the wide receiver one on this team this year. I think in the long run, I would rather have Henry Ruggs out of these two guys. I completely agree, but I just think until they get on the same page, until they figure out what they're doing with Henry Ruggs, um, I think that trust from Derek Carr to Brian Edwards is going to go a pretty long way this year. That definitely fair points again. Like uh, this is one where I love both players. So if either of them takes that role, I'll be super excited. But I'm going to uh, side with Rugs on this one. But again, Edwards is still a fucking baller. So uh, who is the next running back that we're going to be discussing today? Because I, I think I'm so we got, pretty. So we I'm got the every one, single one. Oh, yep, yeah. we got the one final running back, and we got the one final receiver. And I'm sticking to the top five consensus running backs, and it's going to be with Cam Akers. So this one, I don't think you and I, you or I really knows what the hell's going on with this one. Um, but buy or sell, Cam Akers is going to lead that team, the Rams, in rushing attempts and targets out of the backfield. See, this is so. This is the one that was kind of curious to me because I, I had to really look into like. Okay, well, what exactly was Darrell Henderson's role in Memphis? And I mean, he he got some. He was super. First of all, I mean, all these fucking Memphis running backs are super fucking efficient. That's why everybody loves them every single year coming out of the draft process. But I looked into it. I mean, he didn't get the, a ton of receiving work at Memphis, but what he did with those touches was incredibly efficient. So I didn't really know what to make of that. I'm like, okay, well, I mean, like that didn't really tell me much because last year he only had four receptions to begin with. And, um, yeah, I've just looked at it over the years, right? And the lead back typically is has been the Belkan. Now we're talking about Prime Gurley, so, I mean, I don't really know what to make of that either. And there's no other sample size to really, like, fully look into McVay because, realistically, from then he was on the Reds because I'm not sure he had too much say there. But uh, I'm going to buy this because I do think, out of being a complete all-around back on the team, that Akers is the best there now. Would I be shocked if Darrell Henderson led the team in targets or from the running back position? I would not. I think Cam Akers is most likely a lock to have it in terms of the rushing attempts. I mean, I just think that's not really a debate because I don't necessarily view Darrell Henderson as that between the tackles runner like I would view a guy like Cam Akers. But this really comes down to, okay, who do I think is going to lead the team in targets from the running back position? And if I had to guess one, it, I, I do believe it's going to be Cam Akers simply because I do think he's the most developed in the pass blocking game. I mean, that people, people normally don't really associate that. For most backs, like a guy like Clyde Whistler, he's going to be on so many routes, it doesn't matter. But for a team like the Rams, uh, I do think that's going to come into play, especially because, again, this running back room 
uh, is kind of so divided in that aspect. So, I mean, if he's going to be the best pass blocker there, we saw, we both saw on film. I mean, the effort, the, the physicality he showed in that pass blocking game was ultimately getting him on the field. Uh, and really a, a trait that I really admired from him coming out of Florida State. But if that's the case, if he is the most developed pass blocker, I do think he's on the field on those third downs. And ultimately, if he's on the field on those third downs, he's going to get more targets on those guys. So I will buy it simply because, again, he's got the lock on the rushing attempts, and I do think he's going to be on the field enough to see those passing attempts ultimately uh, lead to the team lead. So what are your thoughts? I'm actually going to go a different route. So I'm going to sell this. And... I'm going to reverse it. So you said he has a lock on the rushing attempts and the receiving attempt or the, the targets is going to be, was in question. I think Cam Akers is going to be the clear guy out of the backfield in terms of the passing game. But I actually think he's going to be in heavy competition for the rushing attempts. And my biggest thing is I, I, I'm not a big believer in Daryl Henderson, but I know the Rams believe in Malcolm Brown. They put a, what was it, a second round tender on him and ended up holding on to him. I mean, they're, they're, they're pretty big into him. And I, would be, I wouldn't be very surprised to see him get more and more involved this year, especially now that Todd Gurley's out of there. Um, uh, again, it's not like I think Malcolm Brown is going to run away with the rushing attempts or Daryl Henderson is going to significantly take away attempts from Cam Akers. I think it's going to be, um, in terms of rushing attempts, I think it's going to be as close to a three-headed backfield as we're possibly going to see. I think the splits are going to be very even in terms of attempts and, and, and everything like that. But I do think Cam Akers is going to have the initial receiving work just because, I mean, in the past, Daryl Henderson, not that he's seen a lot of opportunities, but it's not like he's showed us anything to make us believe that he's going to be a, a, a decent receiving back uh, for that team. So although I, I do like Cam Akers and I think he's going to be a fairly balanced player, I am going to sell that he is going to lead the team in targets and rushing attempts out of that backfield. Definitely fair. Definitely fair. Uh, so we're split there, but again, uh, that, that, that Ram situation is a mess. Uh, obviously in dynasty cam Akers is going to be the guy long-term, but yeah. I mean, in re in redraft, I'm most likely just not going to touch it. So uh, who is the final name out of the receivers? In fact, that we're going to be discussing today in terms of these scenarios. I know the answer. The viewers know. know Let's tell them. What so is the final one that we're going over today is Justin Jefferson. So we're back into that top five consensus wide receivers. Uh, Justin Jefferson, whether it was pre-draft or post-draft after he went to the Minnesota Vikings, he has always been considered a top five uh, rookie receiver for the majority of uh, fantasy fans out there. So I'm going to ask you, it's a, it's a pretty big question. Um, buy or sell, will Justin Jefferson become as big of an asset in fantasy as Stephon Diggs by the 2021 season? So I'm not asking, is Justin Jefferson going to live up to what Stephon Diggs was able to do this year? I'm saying between now and the end of the 2021 season, are we going to be looking at Justin Jefferson in the same light that we have for Stefan Diggs kind of as that top 15, top 20 wide receiver with obvious upside. I'm going to have to sell this one. I mean, uh, when I'm actually looking at the situation uh, in general, especially because, I mean, we, we could talk about early in his career. I mean, Stefan Diggs has always been a fantastic player in real life. I mean, you're talking about 
speed, you're talking about route running, you're talking about consistency. I mean, he is just an absolute phenom in all those regards. But let's look specifically at 2018, 2019. So in 2018, the pass to run split was in fact a lot higher toward, uh, towards the pass than it was last year. And ultimately, we saw both Thielen and uh, Diggs absolutely dominating that year. Again, the, the thing is, is Diggs had 149 targets that year. Right. I don't think Jefferson's ever really going to see that with a healthy Thielen and the new uh, run dominant uh, scheme that they're ultimately going to be running down there. Now, if you're looking at it, basically last year, he received only 94 targets without Thielen there. And yet, even on those 94 targets, he's still able to produce over 1,100 yards and six touchdowns, which is just absurd efficiency. 17.9 yards per reception. Absolutely a, a dynamite. Uh, asset last year if you had him but I mean I love Justin Jefferson as a prospect but trying to say that he's going to replace the production of a guy like Diggs who in my opinion in terms of talent is at the minimum top 12 receiver in the league uh it's just it's setting the bar a little high and now if we're talking about a perennial top 25 top 30 receiver I could fully buy that but again this is all this also has to do uh by 2021 now if we're talking about past that deal getting older jefferson establishing himself more in the offense i can maybe see that but by 2021 i just simply can't see it because again feeling when he's on the field is going to demand a higher target share in that minnesota uh, vikings offense which ultimately won't have a lot of passing attempts to begin with so uh again i like jefferson but i just don't think he, he reaches digs heights in the next two years yeah, I got to agree with you. I, I'm selling this one, and like you said, it's not a knock to Justin Jefferson. It's just that given the situation and what Stephon Diggs was able to do in Minnesota, I mean, that's that's a pretty high standard to ask Justin Jefferson to live up to over the first two years of his career. I mean, I feel like one thing that has been really um, misconstrued lately in the dynasty community is that wide receivers are supposed to come in and immediately produce. You know, we got so spoiled last year with DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, Debo Samuel, whoever else. I mean, there, there, there were so many rookie receivers, Terry McLaurin, um, there, there were so many rookie receivers that came in and just absolutely showed out last year. And we have to keep in mind that that's not, that's not typical. You know, we'll see one, maybe two rookie receivers come in and get over, you know, eight or 900 yards. But we're not, we're, you don't see a big handful of guys like that, like legitimately throwing it out there um, in their rookie year. And I just don't think that Justin Jefferson is going to be one of those guys. Um, it's, it's like you were saying, Stefan Diggs is, is one of those dudes where he's arguably a top 12 receiver in the league in terms of talent, where his fantasy comes in. He's ridiculously efficient. He's got weak winning upside whenever he's on the field. And I just don't foresee that same kind of thing happen to Justin Jefferson. So the reason why I picked this one specifically for Justin Jefferson is because um, that is a big narrative that has been thrown around Twitter over the last two, three, four months, however long uh, since Justin Jefferson has been in Minnesota. And it's, is he going to come in and immediately replace Stephon Diggs? In terms of being the wide receiver two on the team, sure, he's going to come in and replace Stephon Diggs. But in terms of being the same type of player that Stephon Diggs was, in terms of putting up that same efficiency, that same production, that same potential elite week winning output for your for fantasy purposes I don't see it happening over the first couple of years um, I can't see him developing into a consistently top 20 receiver at some point in his in, at some point in his career I just don't think he's going to be one of the guys that does it over the first two years 
Yeah, I, I fully agree there. Uh, mentioned my points as well, but yeah, uh, that was a ton of fun. A lot of hypothetical scenarios that I, I, I love engaging in. again. Dynasty is about not only realizing what's going to happen in the now, but being able to project forward in terms of what you believe is going to happen. Again, a lot of these guys, as we mentioned, their 2021 outlook is going to look a lot better than specifically in the 2020. But uh, yeah, that, that, that was a ton of fun. I mean, I just love talking football in general, especially when we talk Dynasty, the Dynasty Stock Market uh, series that we have going on on the Fantasy Stock Exchange channel. But yeah, uh, super pumped to join you. Anytime you fucking want to talk, let's uh, let me know. We'll record these out, get these going. But yeah, if you guys are watching right now and you've made it this far, make sure you go like, comment, subscribe down below, comment on what you guys think about the scenarios, what you guys think is going to happen, whether you agree or disagree with me or Mikey. Let us know down below. We will happily engage with you guys in that comment section. If you guys haven't already, make sure you go check, check out Mikey on Twitter as well. Uh, we'll have that link in the description if you guys want to follow me as well while you're down there. I mean, uh, I, would, I wouldn't mind it. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> Anything else you want to add before we get out of here, Mikey? No, nothing. Aside from, you know, for myself, for you, for Dynasty Stock Market here on the Fantasy Stock Exchange, thanks for tuning in, and we will see you guys again next week. Peace out.